Alright, welcome to IMAX 22. I'm sitting across from Carla Sampaio Aruda from Sao Paulo in Brazil. Exactly. Well, welcome to, uh, welcome to the little podcast studio we have here in Hall 9 for the Event Design Collective. Um, Carla, you were pocket walking past and just asked me a question regarding event design. What's on your mind? What questions do you have? How can I leverage the conversation when I do event? Okay, excellent. And thank you for uh, allowing us to actually record this as a podcast because we could talk about this you know, without headset and without a microphone, but more people could benefit from this. So what we're after is answering the question, how does your event create value, right? And how can you use this to leverage value? Now, you work for an organization, uh, Cash and Carry, Michael Cash and Carry, uh, retail business, I think, or wholesale Retail business, yeah. uh, large scale across many different countries. Exactly. What 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 kind of events does your organization host today? Today, very internal events, mm-hmm. uh, mailing for uh, to different target people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people that mailing focused on the sales force mm-hmm. to to do uh, business with. Uh, um, professional customers mm-hmm. and the other one is internal business that we would like to incentive to to talk about people footprint plans mm-hmm. uh, making the strategies mm-hmm. uh, and go together with them through the through the years yeah. and then we have managers and C level directors together in this event yeah so uh, I think a typical, em- types. typical environment for a corporate environment where you have you know sales you've got strategy meetings you have at different levels people different stakeholders that are involved in your meeting now the complexity very often that people find when somebody says we should do an event right to improve sales or we should do an event to explain a strategy or we should mm-hmm. uh, whatever that question might be that's where the conversation with the event owner starts and that conversation is very often not so, not so much about how does the event create value but more we should get together because there's an overarching aim for the organization that you're headed towards you know the top of the mountain idea that usually the leader of an organization thinks about or the leader of a sales department thinks about um, and an event is just a very effective way to get people together to pay attention um, and to change behavior. So behavior is the main, behavior change is the main currency, uh, which you could translate to the currency of time. Mm-hmm. Right? So you claim time from a group of people to spend that together. Now, events are complex. Uh, I was just talking to Karina Bauer, the CEO of uh, IMAX. You know, she runs this trade show and she runs IMAX in America. Um, and you can see there's many different complexities going on at the same time. Just like your stores are massive little villages mm-hmm. where things happen in many different structures. Now, just like in accounting or in you know, supply chain management, there are processes and procedures for just about anything, right? Um, and what, it, what we've attempted to do is to code and decode how events create value and to provide a systematic approach to being able to have a group of people think together, use their brain power, to translate the idea of the event owner, interpret it, decode the problem and the challenge, figure out who the stakeholders are, then map out those stakeholder stakes one by one, because it's very complex to think about the stakes at the same time. Mm -hmm. It becomes very messy in your head very quickly. We call it the spaghetti. Spaghetti. You cannot uncook the spaghetti, right? So before you start cooking the spaghetti, you have to be very careful about how you think about the origin, the origin of what you're trying to achieve. So, very often in organizations, I mean, let me ask you: Is your team ever short of ideas as to what they could do with the event? 
Is it like, I have no idea what we should do with this event? Or do they always have an idea like, oh, we should do this, 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 this? The, 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 the pain is always uh, to say what we can do different mm -hmm. and really make sense that people will leave mm -hmm. the event mm -hmm. uh, much more than engaged, but uh, how we can pursue to they leave that day by day after that day. Exactly. That so it's is not the, just about that's the main pain. Yeah, so it's, not uh, it's not just one more event. Oh yeah. my God, today we have a day off uh, in the office and we go to the hotel, whatever we yeah. go. Yeah. Uh, and we have some to do, things to do there. Yeah. Uh, integrated the teams. They have this common sense that yeah. we are used to. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And uh, the challenge for us is like, no, we, we, how we can do this to make a turning point, uh, and we know that is not just that day, but how we can make it solid yeah. uh, to continue this journey mm -hmm. to the end of the year or whatever. Yeah, and so it's it's really about the behavior at the event, but mostly the behavior after the event. Right? Mm -hmm. So how do you create that change of habits, and how do you disrupt the autopilot mode that people are in? Take them out of their context, do something different, and as a result, they start doing things in a different way. Now. The challenge with events is that you need time for the event itself, and that's costly, right? The resource of time, like when you do a sales event, how many people would get together, for instance, if it's across your organization? Uh, 150. 150 people. And how long would they get together for? Two days and a half or three days maximum. Okay, so two and a half days, three days. Let's say, uh, let's say, let's say uh, maybe 20 hours you know, for 150 people in total, right? Mm -hmm. Let's not count the... The know, cough breaks and half an hour. More like what happens, you know, like in the evening hours in the bar and, you know, okay. usually there's, you know, there's, there's on-site. An agenda hour. The agenda hours, <laughs> uh, let's say the 20 hours times 150 people, you do the multiplication. Mm -hmm. That's a serious amount of hours that we're talking about. And one of the things that we ask the event owner is before you start thinking about the content and how you structure those three days or whether it should be three days or two and a half days or two days or should it be two days and then one day, you know, three weeks later or whatever it might be. Um, the question we ask is, would it be wise to spend 1% of the time that you're spending of all of those people in that room, right, so 150 times 20, times 1%, would it be wise to spend that amount of time just to think very carefully about how to design that program and to analyze the stakes of the different people? And usually the answer is, I think that's a good idea, because wasting one minute of 150 people's time is actually a cardinal sin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, time is our most precious commodity and our most precious asset. You never get it back once you've used it, right? <laughs> it's not tradable. No. Uh, there's no currency for time, right? Uh, yet events are kind of the currency we have because we claim people's time to come to this specific event uh, and spend the time with us because we say this is going to be good for the organization, it's going to be good for the salespeople, it's going to be good for the users, for the clients, for the vendors, whoever might be involved as a stakeholder. Now what we do is we tend to not use the thinking power of just one person because one brain is strong, but if you combine six or seven brains, seven brains ideally, and you could orchestrate how the brains think together, it becomes a very powerful machine. Right? There's no computer algorithm that can do what the human brain can do, let alone if you do it times seven. So imagine seven people start with harvesting ideas about what we could be doing, and you park them in an idea quarantine over on the left. And then the next thing you do, and the reason we call it an idea quarantine is because ideas are not good or bad because they come from the CEO or because they come from the event manager or becomes from the junior intern. That doesn't qualify whether an idea is good or bad. 
Now that might be controversial in some organizations because in some organizations the CEO's idea is fantastic and the intern's idea is terrible, right? Um, now we quarantined the ideas and we came up with this term way before uh, COVID happened. It's a very old term that comes from Venice uh, when... The quarantine? Yeah. The quarantine. When quarantine means 40, in 40 mm -hmm. days people had to remain on the ship before they could come into the city to make sure they didn't have the plague and bring it into the city. Well, ideas are also a little bit of a plague. So we quarantine them, not for 40 days, but maybe for 40 minutes or 40 hours, just long enough for them to cool down and people forget whose idea was whose <laughs> idea, right? But you keep the ideas in the quarantine. That's very important. Okay. And the next thing you do as a team is you long list the stakeholders. Who has something to win or lose? as a result of this event, right? Who win, has a stake? Win or lose. Win or lose, doesn't matter. Who has a stake, right? And this is not the stake that you have medium well or, you know, medium rare, rare or well done. Maybe this is later. the stake like, yeah, <laughs> this may be part of it later. But this is the stake that we're talking about, which is, you know, do I have something to win or lose as a result of this event, right? And so, usually a group of people can come up very easily with a long list of stakeholders that are involved in this. And so, that's easy, make a really long list, but then we go to the next step, which you see is called a stakeholder alignment map. And a stakeholder alignment map actually asks you, uh, it's the one that's on the left over there, you can see it behind me on the Design for Good project. By the way, for those people listening, we are in the middle of, uh, uh, of Hall 9 at IMAX 2022. We're looking at a wall with mental models that includes the event canvas and various things involved in the event design using the event canvas methodology. Um, those can be downloaded at eventcanvas.org and they can be used by the team to visualize the process that we're talking about. So let's go to this first one called the Stakeholder Alignment Map. Once you have the long list, you can ask your uh, participants who has high power and high interest over achieving the overarching aim. Now the overarching aim for cash and carry is something that's probably way above the event, right? The overarching aim could be increased sales for the sales director that says I want to do a sales meeting there's probably something bigger or different that the organization is looking for, you know, originally called cash and carry. I'm sure you have a mission and a vision in the organization that says, this is our, as the French would say, raison d'être, you know, the reason for being. You then ask yourself the question, of these stakeholders, who has high power and high interest over this? And the team starts debating on a quadrant of low power, high power, low interest, high interest. Where does this stakeholder fit, right? So the post-its are moved around, and, the, and, and a debate starts in your small design team about who has high power, high interest. You're looking for those people because you cannot design to please everyone. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to please everyone, you're gonna please no one, right? So you need to identify who do you need to inform, who do you just need to satisfy, right? Um, who needs to be involved, but most importantly, who needs to be delighted? If you find the three or four stakeholders you need to delight because the team has the argument together, you validate that thinking. These are the four out of the 16 or 28 that we identified. These are the people that have high power, high interest over the overarching aim. And once you have that, each of these stakeholders, you want to very selfishly analyze. And the way you do that is by having your team pretend to be that person, sit in their skin, walk in their shoes for a moment, and you do an empathy map where you think about six months before the event. What do they see through the eyes? What do they think and feel in their belly? What are they hearing other people say through the microphone? What are their say and do? What is, what is the actual behaviors they're showing and what are their pains and gains? Now the group in itself can do this in 15 minutes, guided by the facilitator, 
and um, the facilitator actually has a facilitation kit with roll cards. We have six different roll cards. One is a facilitator, there's a timekeeper, there's a jester who can ask all the questions even to the king without getting their head chopped off. Uh, you have uh, the idea generator that makes sure that all the ideas are parked in the quarantine and nobody's tempted to start throwing ideas at the design before you're ready to start throwing ideas at the design. Um, then you have the recorder who makes sure that you capture the pictures of the outcomes and maybe the narratives of the videos that you go through. Um, what you then do is you plan the time because doing a stakeholder analysis takes about, I would say, an hour per stakeholder. Right? So this is the 1% of the total event time. So stakeholder one, you take, take that one, you put it up on the empathy map pre-event, you go through that little 15-minute cycle of getting them to think about all these things, and then you record a little story of the say and do and the pains and gains of the empathy map pre-event, just to have the, the idea of the group captured in a story. What you then do is you fast forward to the post-event empathy map and the post-event empathy map is actually the place where you articulate the desired exit behavior. How do the people behave when they leave the event if the event was extremely successful? And you picture what it looks like in the most ideal sense. And you get the team to articulate the say and do post-event. Let's say a camera would be on that person, what would they say and do, right? And you describe that behavior. What you now have are the two cornerstones of your event design, the entry behavior and the exit behavior. And there's a delta, there's a difference between these two things. Now, the event canvas has 14 different cubicles because it is three phases of elements that you need for your event design. The first phase is called change, which is the change of behavior. The second element is the frame, which is the actual, all of the design restrictions you have. And the design restrictions are all the elements that are God-given, right? Things you should be really happy for a limited budget, a limited amount of time. All of the things that, are, that you feel are bad are actually good, right? Because restrictions are rocket fuel for your event design. The more restrictions you have, the more creative you have to be in how mm -hmm. you deal with those restrictions. Mm -hmm. If I would give you no restrictions and anything could happen, you're not going to be very creative, no. right? So you have to be very thankful for restrictions, but you have to make sure you articulate them well and put them in the right box. And as a team, you go through that. So. In the change, we had entry behavior, the pains as you walked in, and the expectations before the event. After the event, you have the exit behavior, the gains they resulted, and the satisfaction offset against the expectations before the event. Right? Because I expected this, I got this. It mm -hmm. was below or above expectation. Mm -hmm. This is where you have your metrics. Positive or negative delta? Positive or negative. A, yeah, exactly. But you're designing for the positive delta, right? yeah. for the positive behavior change. Then in the, in, the, in the framing part, we have um, two, four, six different elements. You have the commitments, which is the time that people need to go through the event as a stakeholder. So maybe a participant has the three days, but maybe as event owner, you commit three months or six months because you have a design team and you need the events team and you need you know, the attention from management to take decisions about the programming mm -hmm. and maybe finances involved and this and that and the other. Um, so every stakeholder has a different perspective and you need to isolate that perspective to have clarity of thinking, right? So we're still with stakeholder one. Uh, the commitment, the return, the cost, and the revenues you're expecting from the events. Some events actually have revenues. Internal corporate events normally don't have a direct revenue. But let's say you're doing a client event mm -hmm. um, where maybe you want more shoppers in the store. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, revenue is part of the mix, right? Mm -hmm. You might be selling tickets for people to come to the cash and carry, mm -hmm. right? Why is it free to go to cash and carry? No, 
maybe you will have to pay in the future to go to the cash and carry because it's an experience. I don't know, just thinking out loud. You have a number of jobs to be done for any stakeholder. So there is basic needs, there is um, uh, emotional jobs to be done, social jobs to be done, and functional jobs to be done. Right? So the reason you come to the trade show here is functional maybe because you want to know what are the destinations, where can I do my events in the future. But maybe there's also emotional jobs. I need to reconnect and rekindle with people that are like me that are also doing events in other companies because I haven't been to one of these events for a long time. Or I need to get away and travel so my brain works differently, which is maybe an emotional job to be done. So every job to be done as a group of people, you can formulate it and put it into emotional this matrix. Function and Social job, emotional job, functional job, and then basic needs. Every human being has basic needs, right? If I drink too much coffee, I will have to go to the bathroom. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and these also things, you know, you cannot have sessions that take eight hours straight because mm -hmm. people need breaks or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you have all these little things you take into account. Your team has the answers. All you have to do is orchestrate. Then you have the promise. This is the gift that you get as a result of going to the event. All those elements are the framing elements for that one stakeholder. Now your team goes through that and articulates that. And then if you've done that for various stakeholders, you have all of these stories bottled up in one minute videos. And those videos you can transcribe and use in practice to then build a story of your event on multiple stakeholder levels, which also gives you your marketing messaging for why you should be coming to this event or what decisions to take. After analyzing these different stakeholders, and each takes about an hour, you then extract what we call the delta. And the delta is really the entry and the exit behavior for the different stakeholders reduced to what we like to call the syrupy goodness, right? What are the three things you want this one stakeholder to do from entry to exit and what needs to happen in the middle? And if you know what the delta is between behavior one and behavior two, as they enter, as they exit, you have to say what, what the change is between A and B, right? And so articulating that change is super important because that's your design goal. That's why you're doing the event. So you've taken, let's say, with three stakeholders, three hours plus 15 minutes for the stakeholder alignment, and maybe some idea mapping, maybe a coffee break. Let's pretend that you know, four or five hours later you have all of this data, you've got this well-filled idea quarantine, and you have your design goal on the delta. You have the three stories for the different stakeholders. Now you've got all the ingredients to come up with your rapid prototypes. So invest a lot of time in phase one will be crucial. For the analysis, it's critical to really, I mean, to really achieve the, the goal. Yeah, if you would ask Einstein how we would crack a problem, right? Or how we would come up with a solution, he'd said I'd spend, you know, I'd spend 99% of the time analyzing the problem and 1% to come up with a solution. This is almost the same. Very often we recommend teams to not do this all in one stretch, but then to say, okay, let's take a break, tomorrow we continue. Okay. Tomorrow you would then review the stories from yesterday, yeah, the one-minute videos. Fresh mind to check it, it out. Transcribed, re-look at it. Do we all understand what we're designing for? Yes. Oh, now let's go and review the idea quarantine. What were some of the ideas we had yesterday? You keep adding to it, you review them, and then you send people off in teams of two to go and do rapid prototyping. Because in teams of two, people cannot opt out. People cannot? Opt out, right? Mm -hmm. If you no. would walk away from the podcast now, no, no. right? <laughs> I would be sitting here on my own. It is no longer an event. Well, it would be me and the person listening. Okay. But it takes at least two stakeholders to have an event. In this case, there's three. There's you, there's me, and there's the person listening. I don't know who they are, right? But if they're interested in this, 
Um, you can find the links of everything we're talking about in the footer notes of what we're doing here, as well as a link uh, to Carla's uh, LinkedIn uh, profile, so you can also ask her some questions about what she's learned here at IMAX today and how the experience was. Thank you. But uh, going, going on to this prototyping, it's fascinating to see how quickly two brains together can juggle around ideas and come up with ways in which that three-day program could be done to achieve those design goals. And because you split your team into two or three different teams, in parallel, within 15 minutes or 13 minutes, they're going to come up with a rough, rapid prototype. As you can see on the wall here, okay. there's nine rapid prototypes that four different teams are working on in parallel. And all of these stories came out bubbling and they debriefed to each other their mm -hmm. ideas. Some people thought it was a competition and they tried to like, our idea is the best, our idea is the best, right? Oh, we're going to sell it to the others because this is the one that's going to win. That's maybe not the point. It's not a competition. Maybe right? the idea of the, the other group exactly. can enjoy yeah. the other way. So, so we always recommend, you know, yes, yeah, some people are competitive. Competition. Right? <laughs> but it's great, right? Steal the other people's ideas, go into a second round of rapid prototyping, but start consolidating down to maybe two or three or four options. Mm -hmm. Combine the ideas, re re Combine. remix them, you know, match them up. So you do a second round of rapid prototyping. You come out with, let's say, three or four options. One of the options is always not to do the event, right? It sounds controversial, but a good question to ask is, what would not happen if you do not do the event? Because that's a test of your delta, right? In the back of the mind of your event owner is always this idea, maybe I should just keep the budget in my pocket and forget about this event and just have people carry on working and, you know, why bother? An event is risk, costs a lot of money, a lot of effort, right? And we've seen for two years, events have had a very different shape and form. This is now in the back of the mind, as it always should be for any event owner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other two or three options are choices for the event owner to say, I could do it this way, this way, or this way. And there might be a preference by the team that says, well, in our view, this prototype will work best, right? And a good leader will probably ask their team that did the design not if you've done all this work and you're, you've really analyzed the problem well, what would the team recommend me to do for our very next event? And it's interesting how the team will then have a pretty solid answer if they went through the design process, because they will know which of these things will be most effective in changing the behavior for which different stakeholders. The other litmus proof is then to check your, your prototype against the original stakeholder long list, because you've designed for the ones you want to delight but how about those people you need to inform? How about the people you need to involve? How about the people you need to satisfy? Right? How would they react to this prototype? And a good event design is always a little bit controversial. You know, good event design doesn't happy doesn't land in, in in the mediocre middle. It's usually an outlier, something that's a little bit more risky, because it will probably give you a bigger impact or a different experience. And if you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. That's the definition of insanity, right? So your role as an event owner, but also as an event designer, as an event team, is to propose options and expect decisions from whoever takes the decisions to spend their money and the budget on that specific event, especially in a corporate environment. Now, once you have a decision, oh, no, what you might find is that maybe the prototypes are not um, wrong or right, or it's just the wrong time or the wrong moment for that prototype might be that you need it at a later time or mm -hmm. how we would mix it out 
And as a result of that, you could turn the respective choice of prototype and then say, okay, this is the one we're going to do at this very next event. And maybe that prototype B would be really good in 2025. But this one is really cool, uh, but I think we're not ready for that. It might take two years for us to prepare that one. And you can place your designs over time on a timeline, which we call the horizon of change. Now, you can read more about this in the event design handbook, which describes the systematic process of doing what we're doing here. There's a facilitation kit that has the roll cards we were talking about and all of the maps and the guidebook to take you through the steps that you have as a facilitator. And then there's a book that we wrote, which is the language. And there's a book that we wrote that's called Design to Change, which is a new book we just wrote uh, last year during the, during the pandemic. And Design to Change is really about the conversation between the event owner and the event designer. How do you have these conversations effectively? At the end of the day, you have an event story that you all agree upon, that you feel solid about, that you support together, because, and you get applause, right? And this comes from the forest or for the ocean or from the canyon. That's right behind us here in Hall 9, right? Um, prototype 1, B, C. Prototype 1, yeah, you know, green, yellow, or uh, blue. Or, yeah. You could look at it in that way, right? You know, some people prefer the forest, other prefer the exactly. ocean. Right? Um, but this is how you think in events. You have to think in prototypes and options, choices, because leaders want choice. If you say, here's the event we want to do, the choice to have is yes or no. It becomes binary, right? You want to be careful with that, I think, if you're in to make the design of your events a success. So design thinking is all about taking the brain power of people, using the human power of empathy, storytelling, story creation, focus and behavior change, idea making, idea validation, and then taking the content, and then taking the content and making the content such that <laughs> And this is funny, weird. So with a live podcast, we have to explain this, Carl. With a live podcast, now one of your colleagues, I think, or friends that you've met here, walks it's live. by. It's live. It's live. And they want to say goodbye because they're traveling back to another Good part of the planet. Good things Which is great, right? Which is great. Um, and this is why live events are so nice. They're so serendipitous, right? Uh, anyway, at the end of the day, you have an event story that you can tell in 60 seconds or 110 seconds, maybe. Maybe a minute or two. And everybody has full clarity about what this event does what the story is, and once you have the story, it's very easy to plan and deliver the events. After the event, you can test whether the behaviors have changed in the desired direction of change, like you were saying, right? Because you have expectations, you have satisfaction, you have metrics, jobs to be done, you've got entry-exit behaviors, you could record this with cameras, you could, uh, you could do all sorts of things to research whether the behavior changes happen. And this is what we do with an event design baseline. We would actually go in and see if what was designed is also being delivered, which gives you ultimately the anatomy of the event, where you see how was it in the past, how is it in the future, and how is it going to be today. The process is very systematic. Mm -hmm. right? We're looking at a poster here that's called the Prospectus Poster, which is about elevating the conversation, facilitating the event design, and then translating to event planning in order to know what the event history and legacy is of past events mm -hmm. and looking ahead at future events. So all of this together is what we call event design. And it's a methodology that's being applied by thousands of organizations now based on the event canvas, which is a mental model where you sketch out an event on a single piece of paper. So um, one thing that's been told by some organizations to us is that it seems like a, quite a complex thing to do, right? Which is the same thing that I think about accounting. To me, accounting is very complex. 
The only thing I want is a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement. And the third thing I want is not to get in trouble with the tax man, right? So I give that to a professional or to people that know how to do that, or I educate myself to be able to do it myself. Is there a way to educate yourself in doing event design? Yes, there is, right? It's called the Event Design Certificate Program. It's available in five levels. Level three makes you a competent facilitator for your team to do that, in which you can spend three days taking an event design. Everybody brings one. We crack the problem together. At the end of three days, you will have seen with a team of you know, 15, 25 people in different groups, you work on parts of the event design and it all comes together. And you have six months to go back with your team and do the same thing, submit it for peer review, and then you become a certified event designer. So this is a, something that we've been doing for a while. There's now 500 certified event designers across the planet. Wow. Our, our, second, our second most popular country of download is Brazil. Is Brazil? Is Brazil. There are a lot nice of, to hear that. Absolutely. Uh, a colleague of yours um, from uh, Roche Pharmaceuticals uh, that I had never met actually sat at our table uh, yesterday and in a conversation with Miguel. If you haven't heard it, please check it out on the podcast. Um, he was mentioning that uh, at Roche with his team, he had actually been trained by our colleague uh, based in Brazil um, and they had applied this methodology and they've been using it ever since because it really makes a lot of sense and it also saves a lot of time. Sometimes designing an event at Google, one of the people that went through this, Amy Badersnyder, discovered that in 25 event designs she did, they had saved, and they measure everything at Google, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they measured that normally designing an event takes over 200 hours for a team. By using this methodology, they reduced that to 45, 40 hours roughly to go through Huge. the design process. 87.5% time savings. This was never created as a time-saving device. However, the more important thing for me was the quality of the 25 events went up from an average of 4.2 out of 5 to 4.8 out of 5 or 4.9 out of 5. I forget. I would have to look on the statistics that we have. Raised it outside. a lot. But it raised a lot. And it saved a lot of time. So now it's a de facto methodology for using this in practice to design events. So um, there's a community of geeks out there, about 20,000 of them that have downloaded the canvas. Uh, about 3,500 people have been trained. There's 500 certified event designers. Uh, by the way, today we announced we're gathering all of them in Las Vegas on the 9th of October this year. Good. We're going to have an event design summit and geek out with our squad. Good. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be fun. So I invite you to join us there. Thank you. For sure I will download first. <laughs> yes, download it first. Oh, and by the way, if you download it, you also get the first 100 pages of the event design handbook for free. Okay. Because we're convinced that once you read that, you will want to buy the rest of the book. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a, a methodology that uh, once you step in, mm-hmm. you, you don't stop out. Exactly. I guess. Um, I, what, what people have told us that is it's so much fun to design an event. And if you have fun designing the event, the event will be very good as well. Yeah. So Team IMAX uses mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. So Bill Hudson and Tahira Endian and so a number I of guess. the team members are literally trained to do this. And that's how these types of environments start yeah. to exist. Over at MPI, we're looking at them over there in the back behind the Inspire Cafe. Uh-huh. That association has used this methodology um, for all of their events in, in the recent past, okay. over the last five, six years, and they've become award-winning events that differentiate themselves from others. Amazing. And this is for anyone, right? So it's for a small event, for a big event, it doesn't matter. For a trade show, for a music festival, you know, for a wedding, it doesn't matter. Huge or more, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. 
thank you so much. I think you don't have an idea how much I learned from you today. <laughs> and all we did was just talk and ask <laughs> some questions, right? No, that's why I would like to listen to, to learn. I, I did a canvas already, uh, uh, but much more simple than that, the mm -hmm. phases. Mm -hmm. And uh, for sure, for me, uh, was a, a seed today to go through this in detail Fantastic. and learn much more with my team. Glad to hear that. Thank you so much. I appreciate a lot your explanation, your time and your knowledge. Well, we created the beast to solve a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that it's being put to good use. Amazing, right? amazing. The community has actually translated the canvas also in 16 different languages. So you will find the Brazilian Portuguese version as well available. Not nice. just the Portuguese, Portuguese version. Uh, but it's, you know, in many different languages available. So feel free to look, uh, you know, on, on, on uh, eventcanvas.org. You will see the different tools available, the facilitation kit, the books, etc. Um, there's also on online learning management modules that you could follow. Okay. And maybe ask uh, if there are people in your region right, that can help you do this. I know in Brazil for a fact that there are probably you know, two or three dozens of certified event designers that are active in doing this in practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you can always reach out to us and we're happy to help you uh, make it happen. For sure. Yeah taking into consideration. Thank Excellent. you so much. Carla, thank you so much for allowing us to record our conversation because we have many of these conversations, but we never think about recording them. <laughs> and, today, nice idea. and today we changed our behavior thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a time to change, but when you change, you... It's not easy whoop. to change, right? Yeah. Yeah. And some people get nervous when we ask them, you know, should we have a podcast recording or how did it make you feel? Uh, I, you know, I didn't think about when you were talking that mm -hmm. we were recording. I just forgot. We're in a conversation, yeah. right? We're looking in the whites of the eyes. We're yeah. sitting in a stand, right? Yeah. In a big hall. And, and I was fully paying attention on you and in what to what's going on here. I didn't pay attention. Yeah. So. And I think that's the power of a good conversation, right? Two brains working together, challenging each other. Imagine if there's seven brains challenging each other. All it can end with is good applause. Right? No, I, I really do believe that when we, we put people together and have a team yeah. with different uh, cultural background, with different ages, uh, with different uh, colleges uh, studied, and when we put them together, it's amazing. Really, it's magic. really, it's magic. really amazing. Because the, the diversity of thinking, the different thoughts, the different perspectives. And these are all the things we describe yeah. in Design to Change. And when you, you uh, are ready more uh, with intimacy with your team, mm -hmm. I prefer not to start speaking because I'm the, the leader in that moment. And people will uh, the director, and yeah, do, yeah, start to look into me and say, I will not say nothing now. It's the meeting for us. So yes. it's also a, a, a acting that I'm used to do with mm -hmm. my team. Mm -hmm. Uh, even when the agency uh, will start an idea or show uh, the presentation idea, the, the roadmap uh, planning, yeah. uh, I always step back and I prefer also to see my my team uh, start. And I also like and ask you if I see the the, the junior with the the, the sharp mouth, said, I'd like to hear you. Exactly. And uh, this is a, a practice that I've been done for a long time before mm -hmm. that I'm in a disposition right now. Yeah. Uh, because I think position is a matter of a um, moment. Yeah. Yeah? Exactly. And uh, if we are open to learn and uh, do this, like you showed me mm -hmm. the path, the evolution, yeah. uh, when you are open uh, not to do the, and to hear everybody, 
uh, you have part of the sex health movement. Absolutely. So the whole role of leadership in design is to orchestrate, right? It's basically you allow the others to compose, but you want to make sure that the voices of the different people mm -hmm. are heard at the right time. So typically a certified event designer or somebody facilitating the process doesn't contribute to the processing content. All they do is orchestrate the team of six or seven to give their input mm -hmm. and structure how you go from step A to B to C to D. And so exactly it's what important. you're saying. So if we, we get lost also, and we have also to make a filter. A funnel, Fil correct. A funnel. As you can see in the perspectives posters. You have to do a funnel. Exactly. You're, yeah. it's, it's, it's like looking for gold, right? Exactly. It's like a big heap of sand and you add water and you, you shake it, and shake it, shake it. And do not make it. it, not lose the direction. Exactly. And the intent of this process is to have very sharp focus on the overarching aim, to have a laser focus on the behaviors you're looking to change. Anything that doesn't change behavior is a distraction and use only the ideas, you know, so the quality of the ideas is good when it changes the behavior in the desired direction of change. Not because it came from the CEO, because that idea could just as well come from somebody that's a user or the youngest intern or somebody that has no idea what your organization does. That's true. And so, yeah, I, I like what you said about your leadership style where you stand back and you let others do the talking. Having a structure in the way that you harvest what comes out of the conversation is really what this is. Thank you. You were really good. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pleasure to meet you in this well, last day of the, absolutely. the well, IMAX it's, it's, 2022. It's, it's our pleasure to share what our baby is. You know, my colleague Hul is standing here behind me and, and <laughs> you know, he's actually delivered some training in Brazil with our colleague Rachel. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, we always... Um, we're always super delighted when people have the epiphany and want to go try it in practice. Mm -hmm. Also, maybe share with us what some of the difficulties are. Can you see are. The, the, the bright of my eyes yes. while you were talking about Okay, <laughs> this is really nice. Here's a question for you, Carla. <laughs> challenge to see if I can change your behavior. <laughs> so, would you be willing to take on the challenge that one year from today, I will invite you for a podcast in which I ask you about your experience of maybe having tried this or not having tried this? I accept, for sure. Would you be up for that and challenge? And then count on my uh, transparency to, to give your yeah. conversation yeah. in the next year. Which is exactly what we need, right? So we want to talk to our users. We want to make sure yeah. that um, we take away any possible blockers or hurdles for you to do what we're doing or what we encourage people to do, because that's our role. Our Where role are you based? So I'm based in Switzerland, in okay. Basel. My colleague Wool is based in near Amsterdam. Okay. And we have colleagues in uh, 10 different countries that are doing this in different languages, uh, which allow people to either, you know, uh, have these team members join them and become part of this. Um, or we can do, you know, sometimes we work with teams in companies directly, mm -hmm. or we do this online. Mm -hmm. um, or we have, um, um, you know, people that get trained and then become you know, the users of this in practice, which is another option. So, um, okay. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Thank you so much, Carla. Thank you. Um, uh, last question. What did you think of the experience at IMAX 22? 20th edition. Well, it's what my was first, the experience like? It was my first year. Yeah. Uh, my first time here. Okay. Uh, so for me, it was, uh, I was very surprised. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved the, this area that we are here now. Hall 9, yeah. Yeah, which is the yeah. experiential hall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
to see to see all the efforts from people after two years mm -hmm. without getting this meeting together, you can see that people are really eager to do reconnect with to others. reconnect to each other. So yeah. I think this was the most atmosphere that I can felt here. Wow. Uh, How did you discover about IMAX? How did you? How did you discover this was here? Uh, a, a friend of mine, yeah. he worked uh, uh, in MCI, okay. and he invited me to, to come over. Excellent. Yeah. So there's always connections that create behavior change. You know, you traveled all the way from Brazil to Frankfurt exactly. to be part of this trade show for how many yeah. days? Uh, today, no, we came from Switzerland already, right. yeah. So, but here five days. Five days. Yeah. yeah. So significant behavior change. I hope you got the value you were looking for. And uh, thank you for coming all the way to Frankfurt. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I wish you the best. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage.